verses 1 to 11 on page 1235 of the Pew Bible. Colossians 3, 1 to 11. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. This is the word of God. Thank you, uh, Barbara, for reading God's word to us this morning. Thanks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask that you help us to understand it and also put it into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, this morning we're going to look at this topic, the new self, and uh, we'll continue this mini-series on godliness and what it means to live a godly life as Christians, that is, faith in Christ, a doctrine, as well as our life. The new look, the new self. I wonder how many of you watch that program called the, the Extreme Makeover. Anyone watch that? Yeah, I see. Yeah, a few hands. Uh, people, where they do all kinds of things to really bring a new body image in their lives. And people spend heaps of money uh, to come up with new fanciful ideas so that lo- they can look great. Uh, they can have Botox. All the... All the um, the wrinkles and everything disappears. You have this nice, smooth skin. And everything is looking really class. A new look. I'm not, I'm not saying, I don't know anyone uses Botox here. I'm not saying you are, but maybe, well, it's up to you what you do. <laughs> right. So anyway, people spend heaps of money on, on this kind of thing. And, and good for them. If they want to do it, well, why not, isn't it? I mean, it's a new self, the new identity, the new look, the missed cool the Mr. Great Guy, right? That's it. Well, just laughing, friends. Look, I mean, there are things like this that goes on as well. This, am I on here? Yes, there you go. Now, I mean, people have made fun of me and said, that's not, by the way, it's not my photo there, right? <laughs> I just want to make the point there. People have made fun of me and said, Chris, I think, why don't you go for a, you know, a transplant? My kids say to me, and you never know. You just don't know. I might take a special offering on a Sunday, and I might come back after a month or so, after my long service leave of three months, you say, is this the same Chris who's back here? Right? Well, <laughs> all right. Oh, well. 
Anyways, there you go, friends, right? The new look, the new identity, right? So, well, we're not going to do all of that. Certainly, there's nothing wrong if people wanted to look good and to present well. But the sad fact, the sad reality is, some of us, we get old, we, uh, we lose our hair, we go gray, uh, we get wrinkles, things happen in our lives, the age gets to us, and uh, we know all about that, perhaps. Well, this morning, as we look at Colossians chapter 3, 1 to 11, we look at this topic on the new self. It's about the new self that derives its identity in Jesus Christ. It is an identity which gives us confidence, hope, and assurance. It is one that gives us a new perspective and a purpose for living. It is also one that challenges us to godliness and, we, and one which can shape our inner character and our relationships in life that really matters. As I mentioned in the past few weeks, we have been focusing our thoughts on godliness and what it means to live a godly life. And I refer to a definition of godliness by Jerry Bridges, who defines it in the following. It is devotion to God that results in a life that is pleasing to him. It is, in other words, a love to God that, desire, that results in a life that is pleasing to him. And Bridges, speaking further on godliness, speaks of two distinct but complementary traits. And he says that the person who wants to train himself to be godly must pursue both with equal vigor. And this is what he says about that. The first trait is God-centeredness, which we call devotion to God. The second is God-likeness, which we call Christian character. And godly character flows out of devotion to God and practically confirms the reality of that devotion. In other words, the more we love the Lord, He will change us from within and our character will be shaped by our understanding and love for God. Do you see that? The way we react, the way we respond, the way we talk, the way we do things in our lives will be shaped by Christ because of our love for Him. Otherwise, we get into the danger of moralistic ideas or perhaps legalism, and which is a dangerous thing. You have to do this because if you don't, wow, you're going to be in big trouble. <laughs> the Christian life is one that flows from grace. Is that clear? <laughs> it, it flows from grace because our God has given us grace in Christ. So it is Christian character that springs from a devotion to God. And last Sunday we looked at Paul's challenge to Timothy, a young pastor, where he called and challenged uh, Timothy to watch his life and his doctrine. And we looked at just, just those verses there in, 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 uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 16a. Keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching or doctrine. And Timothy was to watch both his life and his doctrine. And I said that one writer described life and doctrine as in this way, as two pedals on your Christian bike. You need them both to proceed, to go forward. You keep going, life and doctrine. Oh, we saw those exercises, we saw the bikes being used uh, this morning, isn't it? It's a reminder to us, you see, you keep going. Unlike you got a, if you've got a motorbike, it's quite different. But if you've got a bicycle, you have one pedal after the other, right? Life and doctrine. And this is what we are called to do. And so today in our text, I want to continue this mini-series on godliness. And my prayer, my prayer for us as a congregation, and I trust that you will be praying for me as well, that I and you together will grow in godliness. 
that we will grow in our devotion, our love for our Savior. That as a congregation, we will be characterized not just by everything else which we meet here in this place, but a love for Christ in your life. <laughs> that this church here at St. Stephen's, if people were to describe this congregation, how would they describe it? They may say many things about this place, but I trust people will be able to say it's a congregation that displays a love for Christ and one another. If we have lost that, we've lost it, haven't we? Yes? We've lost it, you see? And so this morning here, Paul is giving the Colossian church a wonderful encouragement to them about the person and work of Christ. Now look at chapter 3, verses 1 to 10 this morning. Because it's a massive section here, so let's just quickly work our way through this, this passage. That is, and also it is intensely practical in terms of its outworking, in terms of our relationship with Christ and with one another. So Colossians chapter 3, please keep your Bibles open if you've got your Bibles with you because it's very, very helpful. Colossians 3, 1 to 4. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I mean, this is a power-packed passage. <laughs> I mean, you're thinking and you're looking at this thinking, how do I make sense of this? What is going on? Where is my life hidden? What's going to happen? How am I going to be revealed? What does it all mean to me? What does it mean I've died? I'm alive here. I'm not dead. What does it mean to be raised? It's a lot of stuff that goes on here in this, just in those uh, few verses. So, well, the letter to the Colossians emphasizes the preeminence of Christ. We see this right in uh, there in chapter one. It does so largely due to the false teachings gaining ground in the Colossian church. And we can read this in chapter 2. We see the problems of legalism, of ritualism, of angelic worship that has crept into the church. There seems to have been some form of Gnostic teaching in the church. Gnosticism was a belief that the spirit is good, but material, the matter is evil. So you can... You don't worry about your body and so forth. It's about the spirit, really, that really matters. And it is within this context of false teaching that has affected the church at Colossae that Paul gives us an excellent teaching about the blessings of the work of Christ for his people. And over against this false teaching, such as legalism, ritualism, and angelic worship, Paul makes the point that we are absolutely, and I want to emphasize this point this morning, that we are absolutely complete in Jesus Christ. Absolutely complete in Christ. This is something that we must rejoice in. There is nothing to add. There is nothing to take away. We are complete in Jesus. You are totally saved when you come to Jesus. You are not half saved. You are completely saved. You are completely redeemed. You are completely uh, restored to a living relationship with God. You're completely uh, given the blessings of eternity. You're complete in Christ. What a joy that is, eh? To be complete in Jesus. What a joy it is to know that we are complete in Christ, both in this life and the life that is to come. What a joy it is to know that we are complete in Christ no matter what happens, whatever comes our way, that we stand complete in Jesus Christ of Him crucified and raised to life. See, that's the joy, friends. That's the joy of our salvation. 
That's the joy that keeps me going day after day. To rejoice in these tremendous truths. When John and myself, we meet weekly or regularly, we will be reading now, we're working our way through the book of Colossians. And I always say to John, how are we going in terms of our relationship with Jesus? And we talk about that. To rejoice in the fact that we are complete in Christ. Because then we can minister to you more effectively. Better, in a better way. To remind ourselves. So what we, what we see here in these four verses in chapter 3 is a tremendous blessing and comfort for all those who trust Jesus as their Savior, the Savior of their lives. It is a passage that speaks of our position in Christ. It is a passage which speaks of our union with Christ. Notice what it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What does it mean to be raised with Christ? You see, to understand this, friends, we need, we need to look at chapter, chapter 3 and verse 3a. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What does it mean that you died? Someone might say this morning, I haven't, you're crazy, Chris, I'm, I'm not dead. I'm alive, can't you see me? You see, what what does it mean here? You see, what does it really actually mean? Well, in our first reading that that Pete read for us, uh, we we see this in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And then Paul does not stop here. Here are the punchlines that we have in Romans chapter 6. So you also, this is... This is important in understanding what this whole concept of died means. So you also must consider yourself dead to what? To sin. Right? And, and what? And alive to whom? To God. In, Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. That's what it is. That is that you have died in that sense to sin and you've been brought back alive to God. That's it. We have died to sin. Sin is rebellion against God and it is manifest in many ways. And the point is that to the Christian, a change has taken place in his or her life and therefore we have the victory over sin. You know, I I really battled with this when I first became a Christian. And I still do. <laughs> but when I first became a Christian, I was kind of mindful of the stuff that I was doing in my life. Uh, this, is on, this is a real challenge for me. How do, what, what do I do with it? There's stuff happening in my life that I know is not right. But before I became a Christian, I didn't even worry about it. <laughs> I lived a lifestyle that I thought, well, that's fine. Who cares? Nobody, I don't have to answer to anyone. You know what I mean. There is no God. It doesn't really matter. But after I became a Christian, I'm sure you would as well be able to say that. When God changed your life, did he not change the direction of your life? Did he not change your thinking? 
Did he not bring into your heart the things of sin in your life and point it out to you one by one? What? He does that. Right? And, and, and this is what we see. We, we are no longer enslaved to it. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You see, soon we will be celebrating Come on. Easter. Have you bought those hot cross buns? Aren't they so yummy, eh? Hot cross buns. Wow, I love it. Hot cross bun and a latte, I reckon, is the best morning tea. Anyway, <laughs> the point is this. The point is this, friends. Very soon we're celebrating Easter. You see, Jesus died on the cross for my sin, for your sin. He didn't lay there. He rose again from the dead. He returned to heaven, the Bible tells us. Ascension means taken up. And his resurrection and ascension means that he is no longer on earth, but above. And this is where Jesus is. He ascended to heaven. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father, a position of power and authority. And so to be raised with Christ means, therefore, to have a resurrected life. It is new life. Let me explain it this way. That is, that the resurrected life of Jesus comes into you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he takes a dead person spiritually and makes that person alive, anew. What a transformation is that, eh? The Holy Spirit, the spirit of power, the dynamis, the dynamite power of God comes into your life and mine. And he changes us and makes you a new creation. Now you might not feel that way. I don't get up every morning and say, wow, I'm a new creation. Right? Because often I see the stuff that's going on in my life and think, man, I'm still the old guy. Right? That stuff is happening in my life and think, man, this is really not good. My thoughts go all over the place. It, it happens. But, uh, but what we need to cling to this. The fact is that we have this new life. This wonderful life. That God has given to you. Don't despise it. Rejoice it. And celebrate with it friends this morning. Say to God. Oh I just want to thank you. That you have given me a brand new life in Christ. You happy about that? You see, that's what we see, isn't it? The new self, you're a changed person. You've experienced his love. You've experienced his mercy. You've experienced his forgiveness. You've experienced his blessings. There's one prayer that I prayed this past week. Only one, I mean, pray lots of them. I said, Lord, have mercy on me. I didn't need to say anything else. I said, Father, please have mercy on me. That's it. <laughs> because I'm a sinner. You see, you are a new person, you are changed for the good, your desires have been changed, you want to please this God, your priorities will change, not me Lord, but your will be done in my life. It is something that Jesus has done in you to transform your life and this is ongoing until Christ returns. And in the light of this new self in Christ, Paul goes on to spell out what this new life in Christ means in practice. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set or to seek or keep on seeking. That's the, that's the word that has been used. It's an imperative continuous form. Keep on seeking. That is, what are these things above? First and foremost, friends, it is setting our hearts on Christ himself. 
as we have been raised with him, we focus our hearts on him. Having known Christ, he is everything to us. Seek the things above. What are these things about? Are there some weird spiritual experiences that we ought to seek? Are there some mystical things that beyond this, this realm of understanding? I have looked at the context of this passage for a clue, and I know there are multiple interpretations here on this, uh, for a clue of what these things are. And I think, my understanding from the context here, that the things above are the things mentioned in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, which we will look at next time. I put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, uh, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. You you can read that section there, right? In fact, the well-known theologian Dr. John MacArthur says that the things above are the spiritual values which are embedded in the heart of Jesus. He says this, Well, the spiritual values that are embedded in the heart of the glorified Christ, the reality is like tenderness. Kindness, loveliness, meekness, long-suffering, patience, wisdom, forgiveness, most of all love. Those are the bounties of heaven. Those are the things that fill the heart of Jesus. And those are the things that if you spend enough time with him, are going to fill your heart. The things above. More about that next time. Then he says, also this, isn't the text also raises this question, right? Uh, Don't focus on the earthly things. And what are the earthly things? What are the earthly members here? And I think here again the context is very helpful. If you look at uh, uh, your text there, it says this, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear and know his power in a great way. You see, this is, this is what we see taking place here in this, in this whole chapter here. You have died. Your life has been raised with Christ. We have an identity that is with Christ. You see, the spiritual values comes from him. Our lives are hidden in him. That is, we are safe and secure in him. You know, there's a hymn that we sing, um, which is safe in the arms of Jesus. You know that one? Safe on his gentle breast. (laughs) Right? We are safe, secure in Christ. Our lives are hidden in him. Safe and secure, our identity is in him. We live in assurance of the hope of his return. It's the future, and here is the goal of our identification with Christ. What an amazing future awaits us, because we are safe in the arms of Jesus, hidden in him, to be revealed at the last day. You know, there's a wonderful passage in the Gospel of John. It's a passage perhaps that we should memorize as well. John 10, 29. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to... I, what's that? <laughs> no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. How wonderful is that, eh? No one. Nothing. I think about Christians who have been murdered, perhaps, who suffered so much in their lives, killed for the gospel, but no one. Is able really to snatch them out of the Father's hands. Because why? Your life is hidden with God and will be revealed in glory one day. No matter what happens to our earthly bodies here on earth. What a comfort, what a hope, what a joy, what a blessed assurance. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's about the future. Romans, for if we have been united with him in death, 
like his. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What a spectacular future awaits us. And Paul again, Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You see, friends, in summarizing just this section here, I just want to say this. Uh, Professor Louis Burkhoff, who has written a wonderful uh, systematic theology, which was my textbook to study, actually. Um, there might be new books now that, uh, the, uh, at the Theological College. He says this about uh, our union with Christ. He says this, that, that intimate, vital, and spiritual union between Christ and his people, in virtue of which he is the source of their life, and strength of their blessedness and salvation. Do you see that? So deep, so meaningful, so powerful, so personal is God's love for you. That is entered into that union with you. Through faith in Christ. You see, one day we will all die. A few weeks ago I bought a block of land. I'm not moving from Surrey Hills. Not I actually, my parents... It's only a small block. It's in the cemetery. And I got the deeds that were sent to my home. I said to Rose, isn't that interesting? It's a block of land that we own. It's six foot by whatever it is. I buried three bodies in that apparently. So, it should be alright. <laughs> and I looked at it. And I said, wow. I can't believe this. You know? But it's a fact. You see, it's a fact. You've got to think about your grave, but... We, as Christians, think beyond the grave, don't we? We think beyond the grave because of Christ. We know that our bodies, we will die one day and everything will happen to this body. We know what will happen to us. But because of Christ, we'll be raised and we're given a new life and eternity in heaven. Better than the little grave here on earth. <laughs> to be with Christ in glory. You see, what a blessing is that? What a blessing. And so, friends, as we move on, you see, it's that intimate relationship. And how does this affect my life? You see, Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual Im- Im- immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. He gives us five things, of which four has to do with sexual sins. Sexual immorality, I'm not going to expand on all of these things. Impurity, lust, evil desires. Sexual immorality, this word comes, uh, we get this, in fact the original word, you can get the word pornography also out of this uh, this particular word. In this context it means every sexual immorality uh, that, that is around us. Sleeping around, adultery, whatever. As Christians we know that God's word tells us that sex is God's gift to us. So we enjoyed in marriage. Sex is given for procreation, for pleasure in marriage, to be enjoyed in a relationship in marriage. But friends, don't mess, uh, don't mess your life in this area because it has consequences. It can affect you if you're a married person, commit adultery, David suffered the consequences of that. Uh, we took on a parish, a, a church, where adultery was a massive issue in that particular congregation. It affected the church, affected the leadership, affected the whole life of the place. Thankfully, by God's grace, we've been 11 years here, we haven't had to face any of those issues in this congregation. So have a strong relationship with your husband and with your wife. And to those who are young, keep your bodies pure. 
uh, so that when you get married, by God's grace, you might be able to say, well, here am I. And for those who, who have lived a lifestyle like this, like Paul says, this is the past. God has forgiven us. <laughs> we didn't know any better. He's cleansed us. You don't need to carry that guilt anymore. <laughs> that's the past. It's been nailed to the cross. Never to be brought back again. You know, there's a book written by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. It's called Spiritual Depression. I read through that book once. And you know, that one, one chapter he talks about that besetting sin that Satan wants to bring up in your life to bring you down. <laughs> and he bring this one thing and say, Oh, you filthy guy, you filthy da-da-da-da, you did this, you did that. You're a terrible guy. Nail it to the cross. Run to Jesus and say, Lord, your blood has forgiven me of all of that. I'm a new person in Christ. Impurity, moral uncleanliness, filthy mind, sexual connotations. Here again, lust literally means passion. In this context, it is shameful lust, again of a sexual nature. Evil desires, again, I said uh, sexual connotations in that as well. And it's very interesting, isn't it? The Bible talks so much about sex because it's massive temptations around us. Let's not deny it. Uh, Are you immune from temptation? Well, think about that. Covetousness. The Greek word here means wanting more. Means more and more. Combined together means to have more. In practice it means you're never satisfied. You always want more. You're always chasing after the wind until you get the next thing. And the next thing is on the market and you're waiting for the, the next better thing. You're never satisfied. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So friends, the wrath of God is coming, Paul says here, for the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. So, now Paul says in the passage, quite interesting, verses 8 to 10, look at your text please, we're going to wind up this message. But now you must put them all away, that is these things, now that's your past life, you lived in this way, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene language from your mouth, and do not lie to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on, what is it? The new. Anger. You got a problem with anger? <laughs> anger is an emotion most prone to abuse, right? And this is why Paul tells us to put anger away. There is such a thing as righteous anger. When you heard the news this past week about the you know, very sad, the father killing his son, no matter what circumstances, and we're not judging that, the father. I mean, it's sad, isn't it? We hear people being king hit and, and injustices taking place in this world. I get angry, I get mad at it. That's a, it's a righteous anger. There's nothing wrong with a righteous anger. I mean, God was angry against sin. But anger here, but the anger that is mentioned here is a growing inner anger that is just below the surface and it gets out of control when the right buttons are pushed. <laughs> and you lose control. And so sometimes you might have to go for anger management classes to keep that under control. See, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And uncontrolled anger leads to the second one, rage, outburst. We see that, isn't it? When people are driving in their cars, they get all fired up and get out and sometimes they fight each other. It's rage out of control. Malice that is speaking evil, right? Gossiping, everything else. Number four, slander. Damaging people's reputations in their lives. Obscene or abusive language, speech and communication. And then Paul says, do not lie to one another. 
seeing that you have put off the old self. You see, to lie is to deny the truth. We have to speak the truth. Because you have put on the new self. It is like taking off an old set of clothes and putting on a new one. Well, yesterday, I was driving to watch a squash uh, match. So I was playing. And I made my latte in the car. Kept it next to me. I stopped somewhere. And I took this cup and I thought I'll have a sip of it. Bang it. Somehow it happened and the coffee was all over my t-shirt. You know, a white t-shirt I was wearing. I was going for a match and it was stained. Oh no, what have I done? Never do it again. So I said to call Jessica and said, could you bring a t-shirt for me? Because this is terrible, you know, stuff all over. She brought a t-shirt and I quickly changed and it it all happened. It just reminds us, friends, that sometimes our our lives can be stained, isn't it? It is stained with sin. (laughs) It's patches everywhere. The white has become stained, not with coffee, but with sin. And Jesus takes that sin-stained garment and he puts on a white robe of righteousness on you and me. And he says, you are mine. What a blessing, eh? What a blessing is that. So, in Christ, friends, you have a new self. None of us can claim to be perfect. And we ask the Lord to help us show where we have failed. To keep working in our lives. I'll touch more on this next time. You know, that may be renewed in the knowledge, the image of its creator. We are a new identity in Christ. We must realize that we must not live for life, but from it. That is, that we live from the life of Christ. That is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And it should be evident to those around us in our relationships. Because that is godliness in action. Is that right? What's the use otherwise? I've been raised with Christ. Oh, yeah, wonderful. And I don't relate to one another. And I'm a tyrant. And I'm a this. Where is that? Where is Christianity in practice? (laughs) I pray God will help us. Be the kind of people that we are in Jesus Christ. And if you're not a Christian here this morning and you want to know more about Jesus and his love for you, friends... Come to Christ. <laughs> know that He loves you. With an amazing love. He will never let you down. He will never leave you or forsake you. And know the power of Christ who can change your life, your marriage, your relationships, give you meaning and purpose in these things. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for our union with Christ, our position in Christ, our standing with Jesus. What a joy it is to know you. What a privilege it is to know that our lives are hidden in Christ, revealed in glory one day. Thank you that we are safe in the arms of Jesus. Lord, as we live our lives here on earth, as we have relationships with one another and in this world, Father, we, we pray that you would help us, Lord, in these areas that we have looked at this morning. That our theology, that our understanding of Christ will be shown in practice in our lives. Thank you that you are working in our lives, a work of progress. I pray that you forgive us, help us to run to Jesus, and show us where we failed you and others, and make us strong in Christ. For at the cross, we have love and redemption, and justice and love met in Jesus, the power of the cross of Christ. Amen.